I invite you to turn in God's Word today to the book of 1 Samuel. Um, and 1 Samuel is toward the beginning of your Old Testaments. So if you begin, um, work your way through Joshua and then Judges, you'll hit Ruth and then come to 1 Samuel. It's page 423, 423 in your pew Bibles, excuse me. Page 423, and we'll read 1 Samuel chapter 3. We're looking at a, a series of um, really the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these and how Christmas is for children and uh, how God uses those who, who are ready to accept uh, the kingdom with an open mind and an open heart. This morning we look at the boy of Samuel. Just as background to this story, 1 Samuel begins really with Samuel's mother in a state of barrenness. She has no children. She goes to the temple, prays for a child, prays for a son. God answers that prayer. In the next chapter, we, uh, we discover or we hear her song, but in the meantime, we also learn about the priest, Eli, and more, more so his sons, his wicked sons, who are also priests in the temple, but have almost turned the place into a brothel. And um, it's just a, a sick sort of situation that's going on in Israel, and that's when we come to, uh, to chapter 3, and uh, let's, let's read from God's Word there. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call. <clears throat> Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called my son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel a third time. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, for behold, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from the beginning to end. 
For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. But Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, Here I am. What was it he said to you? Eli asked. Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And Samuel's word came to all Israel. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to to God. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, it's been said that if, uh, if you are to write a book, it's the first line that you ought to spend the most time on. It's the first line that's most important. In fact, I've heard that some publishers, if they're not captured by that first line, they just close the book and set it aside and never look at it again. That's perhaps why so many first lines are are memorable, right? They they so capture our imaginations that, that you want to know more. You want to know what happened before. You want to know what comes after. You want to know more. Uh, I'm thinking of lines like like these in some famous books. See if you can uh, remember uh, the literature that they came from. Start with an easy one. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Charles Dickens, A Tale of Two Cities. This one's a little bit harder. Happy families are all alike. Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. That was uh, Anna Karenina by Leo Tolstoy. Here's one perhaps the, uh, the children may remember. There was a boy called Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it. A great line. <clears throat> C.S. Lewis, The Voyage of the Dawn Shredder. Here's one for literary elites, okay, if you know this one. The sun shone having no alternative on the nothing new. That was by Samuel Beckett. The book was Murphy. And here's one for those who who read the Bible. The word of the Lord in those days was rare. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. 1 Samuel 3. It's actually the second line that we read, but that's simply because the first line sets the stage. It's kind of like the title. 
It's telling us that these are the days of Eli, the days when Eli was Israel's caretaker of the word. And in those days, in the days of Eli, the word of the Lord was rare. If you don't know the whole story, you immediately feel the gravity of those words. You want to know more. Was there ever a time that the word of the Lord wasn't rare? Why is it rare now? Will it ever become common again? Let's start with that middle question because I think it helps us answer the other ones as well. Why was the Word of God so rare at this time? Why was it rare? As I see it, there are two possible answers to that question. The first one might be that the Word of God was rare because God simply wasn't speaking. Right? God wasn't speaking. He's not talking. That's a possibility. However, if you look at Scripture and what comes before this, if you look at the story before, it seems as if God, by nature, is a speaker. He speaks, right? In Genesis 1, you recall um, how we're introduced to a God that, that speaks, right? If you recall there, we read that the earth was formless and void, And there was darkness and water and the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, was hovering over the face of the waters, right? And into that chaos, we read that God spoke, let there be light, and there was light. In fact, with that light, God pushed back the darkness, didn't he? And not only the darkness did he push back, but he pushed back the waters, the waters below and the waters above, and he held them there. And in that place, he he held them there because he created an expanse. And it was the kind of place that that human beings could live in and thrive in. It was a place of life and light. And God created all of this simply by speaking his word. And God seems to keep repeating that action of of speaking light into a world of darkness. He he speaks and, and ex nihilo. Out of nothing, he brings life. God speaks, life and goodness are the result. For instance, God speaks into the darkness of Abraham and Sarah, right? Into their barrenness. And out of that barrenness, he brings a child. But it's more than a child. He brings life and a future, not just for Abraham, but for all of humanity. God speaks out of the darkness to Moses as well. Remember the situation of Israel. We talked a little bit about that last week. In slavery, God comes in a burning bush. He calls out to Moses. He speaks to Moses, but then he also speaks through Moses. Ten words, ten commands that again would give light and life to his people. So God seems to be a speaking God. And whenever he talks, whenever he speaks, he brings light and life and hope and a future. But not here. In Samuel, we have no word. The word of the Lord is rare. What happened? What happened? Well, there's a possibility that God isn't speaking any longer, but there's also another possibility, right? And that's the possibility that no one's listening. 
that no one is listening for God's Word. And that might seem to fit just a little bit better because, as we read, these are the days of Eli. And historically, these are the days of the judges. We're nearing the end of that period. But where we are is we're way beyond, you know, Moses and Joshua. The people are, are now living in the land of promise, but they are not living well. They keep, they keep running after the gods of the pagan peoples, and for about 400 years, they, they experience nothing but turbulent times. In fact, the book of Judges ends with those foreboding words that, that in these days Israel had no king and everyone did as he saw fit. Everyone did not as God saw fit, but as they themselves saw fit. In other words, they did whatever they wanted and it was a time of darkness. It was a time of sin and that's right where the book of First Samuel begins. And as I said earlier, it begins in barrenness. It begins in Hannah's barrenness. But you have to understand that it's not just Hannah that's barren. It's Israel that's barren at this time. They had no king. They had no leader. There was no one there to lead them as God might lead them. There was no one there to speak as God might speak to them. All they had was Eli. And Eli... Eli fumbled his way through life. Eli couldn't text. He couldn't do Instagram. He couldn't even email. He was like a living communication gap. I mean, God wanted to speak to his people, but Eli just couldn't hear and he couldn't pass anything along. And so Israel was barren. Just as Hannah's womb was empty, Israel was empty. It was lacking what? God's word. And therefore, it was lacking life. It was lacking life itself. Another image that we have here that shows us how, how dire this situation has become, <clears throat> we read about in verse 3. It says there that the lamp, the lamp in the temple, the lamp of God had not yet gone out. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. Now, you may have actually heard reference to this lamp this past week as, as the Jewish festival of Hanukkah began. Hanukkah is often referred to as the festival of lights, but it's actually, it's actually a festival that celebrates um, the Jewish revolt led by Judas Maccabeus against Antiochus IV, who he was the guy who profaned uh, the Jewish temple by sacrificing pigs and, and other such outrageous violations. And the people rebelled finally. And how it's connected to lights is that um, when the temple was cleansed from the profanity of Antiochus, the lamp of God, the menorah, was relit. And if you recall the story at all, there was only enough purified oil that could be found in the temple to burn that lamp for one day. But it would take at least eight days to press new oil and to purify it and to get it ready to light the lamp. But the story goes that miraculously that one day's oil lasted for eight days until new oil could be used for the lamp. That's what Hanukkah is all about and the lights of Hanukkah. Well, it's that lamp that's celebrated at Hanukkah, it's that same lamp that we're talking about here in 1 Samuel 3. 
And that lamp was a, a symbol of God's presence among His people. Now, now, some people think that this lamp was only lit from dusk to dawn, okay? And so when you say the lamp was, was, had not yet gone out, you might just be saying something like it was very early morning, right? It was still dark, or your, your alarm clock hadn't gone off yet. But other people say that this lamp was more like, a, more like an eternal flame, that it burned day and night, and it was never to go out. You were never to let this lamp go out. And in that case, <clears throat> there's a symbolic significance here. As chapter 3 opens, the lamp is, is flickering. It's sputtering. It's threatening to go out. In other words, the Lord's presence is about to leave. Why? Because the word of the Lord is rare. Because no one is listening. And Israel has descended into chaos. The priest's own sons are such lustful thugs that you took your life into your own hands just going to church on Sunday morning. And so if God had not yet abandoned Israel, he most certainly would soon. Very soon. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, but it was close. So these were dark days in Israel, and the word of the Lord was rare. And yet there's also hope. There's also grace that you find here. There's grace in those very words. In fact, two words from that line, not yet. Not yet. The lamp had not yet gone out. And, and we see that hope come to life in Samuel. Samuel comes ex nihilo, you might say. He comes out of nothing. He comes from a barren womb. He comes as a gift of God. And, and what does Samuel say? In verse 10, it's the very center of the whole text. Speak, for your servant is listening. Here is the grace. God raises up a listener. A listener. Someone who will hear the word that God speaks. And if you notice, the word, which is so rare at the beginning of this text by the end of the text, is flowing through Samuel like a monsoon to all of Israel. You read in those last verses that, that God lets none of his words fall to the ground. In other words, all of them are effective. None of them go to waste. He reveals himself. God reveals himself through Samuel's words, we read. Samuel's word goes out to all of Israel. That's how the text ends. And a very dark, dark situation is suddenly flooded with light. You see where God speaks, <clears throat> and there is someone to hear, there is life, and there is hope. This is a turning point in Scripture, it's a new beginning. Samuel. What happens with Samuel? Samuel anoints who? He anoints David. David who has a heart for God. David who has ears for God. David who speaks God's word. And David 
leads to David's great, 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 I don't know how many great grandson, Jesus Christ. Samuel represents a new beginning. God's word is back. And it's alive in Israel. Remember a few weeks ago when we were still studying the book of Acts and we said that, that there seems to be actually a power in God's word itself, a power to produce results. It's, it's, it's imbibed in God's word. Well, here we see it again. If you look at verse 11, our translation there says, God is saying, see, I am about to do something new. Or not new, he says, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. What the Hebrew actually reads there is not, I'm about to do something. It says, I'm about to do a word. I'm about to do a word. How do you do a word? Well, the answer is we can't do a word. Human beings can't do a word, right? We have to say, could you turn on the light, please? And someone has to flick the switch. God says, let there be light, and there was light. That's what it means to do a word. God can do a word. We can't. He speaks a word, and he produces hope. He speaks a word, he produces light. He speaks a word, he produces forgiveness and holiness and redemption. Only God can do a word. And yet God does his words through us. Samuel says, speak, for your servant is listening, is listening. There must be a listener. Fred Craddock uh, reminds us here that in the Hebrew, you don't have different words for listening and obeying. They're, They're the same word. And so, the Bible really doesn't know a difference between listening and obeying. Okay, to listen means to obey. To obey means to listen. I mean, we still sort of have that today, right? Which of us as parents hasn't said, are you listening to me or you're not listening? What are we saying? You're not obeying. It's the same word. When someone listens, they obey. And when they obey God, there is life. There is life. Although in this chapter, God's word first brings an end, doesn't it? It first brings death. In order to bring a new beginning, there must be an end here. And so God's word brings an end to Eli. Eli was the priest, the priest before the Lord. It was Eli's job, as I said, to listen for the word of God and then to pass it along to God's people. And Eli was doing neither of those things. Think about this for a moment. You know, we often sort of read this story as a a cute little story of God trying to communicate with a little boy, and he has to call him three or four times before the little boy figures it out. And and we sort of walk away thinking, yeah, that's kind of cute. I mean, I even remember when this church came to call me to be its pastor, I used to remark they came three times before I heard the call, right? And, and that's sort of how we, we think. Well, God calls and we don't listen, and God calls again and we don't listen. But who is the one who's really not listening here? 
I mean, Samuel, we understand, he didn't recognize the voice of God, but who should have been listening? Who should have known the voice of God? It's Eli. This is an indictment against Eli. Eli doesn't recognize God's voice. And so there's a reason that God puts an end to his priesthood and and to that of his sons and to his entire line, and that's because they are the kinds of priests who don't listen to God. They can't hear him. He's not hearing, he's not conveying what God is saying. Like I said, he's a living communication gap. Let's read between the lines here for just a moment. If you go back to chapter 1, there's a scene, as I said, of Hannah in the temple, and she's praying for a son, and it says that, that she is praying from the heart to God. And, and that's often translated, she's praying silently. And it's, it's striking that Eli doesn't seem to recognize that kind of prayer. And he comes and he accuses her of being drunk. And he tells her that she needs to change her behavior. And what he's missing is that this is is a love language. This is a heart-to-heart conversation between Hannah and her God. Then you fast forward to our chapter and you look at at verse 7 and it explains there why Samuel can't hear It says the reason he didn't recognize God's voice is he did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And friends, to know the Lord, to know someone in Hebrew is a very intimate kind of of term. It's an intimate word, to know somebody. This is an indictment again against Eli. What it's saying here is Eli's mother, Hannah, devoted Samuel to the Lord's service. She brought him to the temple. She said, Eli, I'm going to put him under your care so that he will learn what it means to serve the Lord. And what we're being told by this text is that that Samuel would have been better off with Hannah. Because Hannah knew the Lord. She had a heart relationship with him that Eli knew nothing about. He didn't even recognize. And so here we meet Samuel. He knows nothing about the Lord. From the very priest who was supposed to teach the whole nation how to come to the Lord. Eli did not make the voice of God recognizable to Samuel. And so that's why he had to come to an end. Friends, when I, th- I think about this text, I always think back to when I was just a kid. We lived in a, a two-story house, <clears throat> and I remember when my parents would have people over, especially people from church. You know, I would get sent to bed early, and I would sneak out of bed, and I would I would go to the top of the stairs, maybe some of you did this too, and I would listen to the conversations sort of as they wafted up the stairs. And I, I can't tell you, you know, any of those conversations and what the content was exactly. 
But what I can tell you is I was blessed by what I heard coming up the stairs. Because I so often heard the voice of God. I mean, as my parents and their friends, as, as they talked and as they laughed and as they, even as they argued, it was, clear, it was clear that God was alive and that he was speaking and that together they were listening. They were listening to him. They were listening for his voice. And what's so troubling about, about this story and about Eli's house is that when, when Samuel sat at the top of the stairs listening, there was no noise coming up from below. At least nothing good. The conversations he did here, they were all fuddled. I mean, they were all people-centered and me-centered and what we're entitled to and what we're not getting. And, and it was about how to deal with the darkness in our lives and, well, let's take another vacation or let's buy a convertible or I'm going to have an affair or, or we need to buy more lottery tickets. Whatever it was Samuel heard, it wasn't the voice of God. And so... When God spoke, <clears throat> he brought Eli's priesthood to an end. And then he filled the communication gap with Samuel. And with Samuel, he created a new beginning, as I said. And children, what I want you, and actually what I want all of us to think about this morning, is that when God spoke to Samuel, to this little boy. And whenever God speaks a new beginning into our lives, you can never predict who it is that God is going to speak to. You can never predict who God is going to speak to. One, because God speaks to people you would never expect him to speak to. And two, God speaks to people who don't even speak don't even themselves expect him to speak to them. Let me say that again. He speaks to people who we would never expect God to speak to. And he even speaks to people who themselves would not expect God to speak to them. I mean, think about this story. Who do you expect God to speak to? <clears throat> you expect him to speak to Eli. I mean, Eli is credentialed. He's older. He is a professional listener. At least he should have been. He should have been the vehicle of God's word to his people. But God doesn't speak to Eli. He speaks to a little boy. He speaks to Samuel, powerless, without influence, still playing with his trucks and his Legos, God speaks to someone that we would never expect God to speak to. And we have to remember that. And kids, you have to remember that especially. God doesn't just speak to parents. He doesn't just speak to moms and dads. He doesn't just speak to older sisters. He doesn't just speak to the kids who get A's in English. He speaks to whomever he chooses. He speaks to little sisters and little brothers. He 
speaks to people in wheelchairs. He speaks to the blind. He speaks to those with dyslexia. He speaks with those who don't play music or don't play sports. He speaks to whoever is listening. God speaks to those we would never expect him to speak to. And at the same time, he speaks to people who would never expect God to speak to them. For instance, maybe you think that God only speaks to people, you know, whose parents sat around downstairs and had big theological conversations that wafted up the stairway, and you think, you know, my, my home isn't like that. My parents never have those kinds of discussions. So God, God's not going to speak to me. Well, that's not true. Remember Samuel. God spoke to Samuel who sat at the top of the stairs and he heard nothing from Eli, nothing more than the latest drivel on TV. And yet God spoke to Samuel. Why? Why does God choose to speak to those who would never expect him to speak to, who would never expect themselves that God would speak to them? Why? Well, it's for his glory. It's for his glory. We see it again and again. God doesn't speak to those we would expect him to speak to. He doesn't speak to the strong and the mighty. He speaks to those who hear and the glory goes to God. You know, there's, there's a text right in chapter 4, if you remember what happens after this, where Eli dies in battle and his sons die in battle and the ark of God is taken and, and one of the daughters-in-law of Eli, they say the glory of God has departed. Some of the saddest words in Scripture. The glory of God has departed. Why? Well, the priesthood is, is done. The ark is gone. But little do they know that the Word of God has come back to two little ears that are open and listening. And those two little ears are going to hear, and then that little mouth is going to speak the Word of God, and God is going to fill the earth with light and with life. David, Jesus, and now all of us. Because his Holy Spirit has been given to us, a spirit that helps us discern God's word spoken to us and then gives us the courage to speak that word into a world of darkness and what? And bring life. Bring life. It all began with with two little ears that were open and listening. It's all for his glory. It's all for his glory. So don't ever think God would never speak to me. Because when you think that, God says, for my glory, I just might do it. You might be the one. And then he fills you with his Holy Spirit and the story goes from there. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord Jesus, come, come among us. Come among 
those of us who are, are weak and humble and recognize that even that on our own we can't even hear your word, much less speak it. We need you to open our ears. We need you to open our hearts. But we trust that you will do that in the person of your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for the hope that you have already spoken into this world, the life that we experience that you've given us through Jesus Christ. And help us, Lord, to pass along that light and that life. Open our ears, open our mouths, that we may speak your word into the darkness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.